Hey, it's the first episode of the True North Football Podcast with Joey Alfieri. That's me. I am Joey Alfieri. And uh, thanks for joining me here on episode number uno. And uh, just to give you a quick overview of uh, what I'd like to get accomplished on this podcast, I want to bring some hot takes to the table when it comes to uh, football in Canada, the Canadian Football League, NFL players in Canada. We will talk a little NFL too, but we'll talk uh, NCAA players in Canada uh, or Canadian NCAA players, um, as well as U Sports. You know, want to bring on uh, some different guests with some different backgrounds, uh, difference makers uh, in when it comes to football in this country. And really, my goal is to uh, put out at least one podcast a week. And I'd like to get some hard-hitting guests, ask them some hard-hitting questions. And really, the the goal is to uh, be entertaining. I'd like to entertain you, uh, you know, at least once a week. And on top of that, I want you to learn something. That's that's the big thing about uh, this podcast. There's a lot of good CFL podcasts out there. I want to put my own spin on it. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, I'm a reporter, I'm a producer, I'm a host at TSN 690 Radio in Montreal. I also do some uh, CFL writing, uh, specifically on the Montreal Alouettes for Three Down Nation. I've really been following the CFL for uh, most of my life. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I love it. And I'm hoping that you'll uh, come along on this journey once a week. They're, the shows, the episodes are not going to be too, too long. Uh, but want to get some content. I'd like to do some analysis for you, uh, tackle some questions uh, that you guys may have. And if you do have any questions or comments, feel free uh, to send them to me on Twitter, at Joey Alfieri on Twitter. My DMs, uh, direct messages are open. So feel free to send me uh, anything, uh, any question or comment that you may have uh, for myself or even for a guest. Uh, if you bring up a really good point, I have no problem mentioning it. Uh, to guests that we have on, uh, so really excited to get going here. Our first guest on the uh, on the True North Football Podcast with Joey Alfieri is going to be Sasha Gavami. He's an NFL and CFL player agent. Uh, he represents uh, a lot of uh, the big names uh, in the CFL, and he also has uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, the Chiefs uh, guard, as a client. Anthony O'Claire the tight end uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Sam McGuavin, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, uh, who's now with the Miami Dolphins, who's doing some big things out there. So uh, Sasha will join us. We'll talk to Sasha, uh, not necessarily about what's going on on the field uh, in the CFL with, you know, but we're not going to go team by team, uh, but I'd like to get his thoughts on the XFL and how that's going to impact uh, the CFL and how that impacts him and his clients. Uh, being an agent, I mean, I'm sure that he loves that. Gives him gives clients more of an opportunity to get a paying job uh, in professional football. Also, want to talk a little CFL 2.0. What has he thought of you know the way Randy Ambrosi's handled that? Is the pie going to get bigger in his estimation for the CFL? So uh, we'll talk to Sasha about that a little bit later on in the show. But I uh, was looking at the CFL schedule for this weekend, and this is where I want to start. And it's a game that I'm going to be working the sideline, so I will be on the field for this game uh, for TSN 690 Radio in Montreal, and that's Hamilton coming to Montreal, visiting the Alouettes on Saturday afternoon at 1 Eastern. And there's really, <laughs> it's funny, I was on the sidelines for last Friday night's game at Molson Stadium against the Toronto Argonauts, and that, I got to tell you, I know it was a tight game, 
and it was fun at different times. And the Alouettes didn't really rest anybody outside of John Bowman. But standing on the sidelines there, even when uh, Tyler Crepinia lined up for that potential game-tying field goal uh, very deep uh, in the fourth quarter, got to tell you, it felt like there's a bit of a preseason vibe there. It just it, that's how it felt on the side. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was just getting the wrong vibes, but I was standing closer to the Montreal bench, and it just it felt like not to say that they weren't taking it seriously, but it was just a relaxed vibe on the sidelines that's not normally there. Uh, maybe it was the cold because it was pretty chilly on Friday night, uh, but that was a close game that the Alouettes ended up winning 27-24. Again, the Alouettes now at nine wins. So I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm trying to see, you know, who might the Alouettes rest uh, on on Saturday afternoon at Molson Stadium? Who are the Tiger Cats going to rest? And I mean, it's so unpredictable. We really don't know. Uh, for Montreal, uh, we know that Devere Posey and Tommy Campbell uh, both left last week's game against the Argonauts with injuries. I'd imagine that unless they're you know, perfectly fine because it is a long week for for the Owls. It's Friday to Saturday. Um, I mean, I, I don't see why either one of those veterans would play. Uh, they're both very important parts of their respective units. So, not sure if those guys go or not. Uh, I spoke to John Bowman during the game briefly. Told me that he definitely wants to play again before the end of the season. Uh, so it's not like he's going to rest for three weeks and then, you know, just roll up for the East semifinal at home. So I'm looking at this matchup. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's what's the storyline going in here? Like, both teams are probably going to play vanilla because there's a chance they can meet uh, in the East Final in Hamilton in a couple weeks from now. So, like, what, what's what, what can I take from from this game, and what can we analyze going into this game? And the thing that jumped out at me was the East nominee for the MOP, right? And you have a guy in in Vernon Adams Jr. who has really opened up some eyeballs. And and I, I'll be honest with you, he was fourth on the depth chart when the season or when the training camp started for the Alouettes. And I really didn't think. I, I thought it was going to be the Antonio Pipkin show this year. Pipkin was younger. Uh, I think I thought he was more polished. And really, I mean, credit to Vernon Adams for just turning the league and the team upside down. And he's a big reason why they're a nine-win football team this year. And they could hit double-digit wins for the first time in a really, really long time. Uh, so credit to Vernon Adams Jr. But on the other side, Brandon Banks has over 1,300 yards receiving. He's caught over 100 balls, and there's two games left. There's two games left in the season now. He's probably not going to play both, and they'll probably snap back the, or scale back the snaps. But this matchup got me thinking. This nothing matchup got me thinking. Like, who is going to be the MOP candidate from the East? And you look at Toronto and Ottawa, and there's nobody there that's going to be the MOP candidate. The, the, it's not happening. So that's how I got down to Brandon Banks, who's been healthy for most of the year, and Vernon Adams Jr., who has taken the league by storm and has surprised just as much as Cody Fajardo out in, in Saskatchewan, who got a big extension this week. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, who in my mind gets the nod? And now I know I'm, I'm closer to the Owls situation, but I'm trying to think objectively here. And this is, this is what I came up with. And Alouette's fans might, you know, not agree with what I'm about to say. 
But I think if we're looking at an MOP candidate, and it's important to differentiate MOP and MVP. MOP is the most outstanding player. MVP is the most valuable player. I know it sounds similar, but it's not the same thing. And I'll explain why. Most outstanding just means you're the best. You've been the best. You've been the most consistent. You look at Brandon Banks, over 100 catches, over 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. He's had to do it with two different quarterbacks. Now, I know Mazzoli and Dane Evans have both been very good, but still, he's had to do it with two different quarterbacks. And credit to him for being outstanding. And really, that's what it comes down to is that Brandon Banks has been great with two different quarterbacks. And that says a lot about the player that he's become. He's become a very dynamic receiver when at one time all he could do was return kicks. Vernon Adams, on the other hand, has been outstanding, not as outstanding as Brandon Banks. But I think if it was the MVP award, you look at the body of work for Vernon Adams, and I think Vernon Adams is more valuable to his team than Brandon Banks is. That's a talented Hamilton offense. Guys come and go. I mean, if they could replace Masoli, they had to replace Sean Thomas Erlington, uh, who was the starting running back, was lighting it up early on uh, in the season. If they can replace those guys, they can replace Brandon Banks short-term. Are they better with Brandon Banks? Yeah, absolutely they're better with Brandon Banks. But I think that they can replace Brandon Banks more so than Montreal can with Vernon Adams. And we've seen it, right? So in week one, when Montreal goes to Edmonton, Antonio Pipkin starts that game. The Alouettes are losing, despite you know the defense forcing a few turnovers. And Vernon Adams comes in at the start of the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden they're marching down the field a couple times, and it's a tie ball game. Now they end up losing late, but Vernon Adams gave him that shot in the arm. He didn't start. The Alouettes didn't end up winning. You look at the weather-shortened game, at home against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you'll remember Vernon Adams took a shot from J.R. Tavai the previous week against Ottawa, and he did not play in that game. It was a one-possession game. I believe that was a 17-10 finish. The game didn't even finish because it was late in the third quarter and the weather delay, and I don't know, so I'm not getting back into that, how dumb that was. But they end up losing that game with Pipkin and Matthew Schiltz both playing. And both quarterbacks got rocked in that game, as you may remember, and they both fumbled, and Saskatchewan was able to scoop and score uh, on both occasions. Then uh, he was suspended after the incident with Adam Big Hill at home and that crazy comeback win over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Alouettes go to BC. They have Matthew Schultz at quarterback, who did all right, and they're likely a quarterback sneak away from winning that football game, but Pipkin fumbles. They end up losing. But with Vernon Adams, you have to wonder, I mean, is that even a tight game? Maybe the Alouettes blow the lines out of the water. So you look at the the games where Vernon Adams hasn't played as much, and you think to yourself, all right, well, when Vernon Adams plays, the Alouettes win (laughs) for the most part, and when he doesn't play, they don't win. So in my mind, I think you look at at both situations in Hamilton and Montreal, and I don't think anybody can argue that the Tiger Cats are the more talented team, and... Brandon Banks, who's a receiver, and it, naturally it's just easier to replace a receiver than it is to replace a quarterback, but he's surrounded by more talent. But that, but in my mind, I think Vernon Adams Jr., if it, if it was an MVP, Vernon Adams Jr. is the MVP 
nominee in the East. Like, there's no doubt about it. He probably ends up winning the award if that's what it was. But it's not. It's MOP. So MOP is Brandon Meigs. It's Speedy B. He's put up these crazy video game-like numbers. And that's the difference to me. That's it, it. Really, what the difference comes down to is the title. So again, if it was MVP, which it is not, then I believe that Vernon Adams Jr. gets the nod. But it's MOP, and Brandon Banks has really just done an incredible job uh, of adapting to two different quarterbacks. They've put him in a in a position to succeed. Credit to the offensive coordinator Tommy Condell. He's had to move pieces in and out of that offense. Brandon Banks has been one of the uh, consistent elements of that offense. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats have won a franchise record 13 games. But listen, I mean, Brandon Banks could be the MOP. Alouette's fans might be mad at me for saying that. But if they do end up winning and they do end up meeting in the East Final, I mean, and they do, you know, Montreal ends up winning, I don't think anybody cares if Vernon Adams leaves with the hardware in the week leading up to Grey Cup, as long as he comes away with an appearance in the Grey Cup, a solid performance in the Grey Cup, who knows, maybe he gets Grey Cup <laughs> MOP. Though these are like we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I think fans would get over the fact that either one of these players ends up getting snubbed if that means you know they end up playing for a Grey Cup. So those are my thoughts. I think if you look at it objectively on on either side, I think that's what you'll come away with. You'll come away with the fact that Vernon Adams is probably the MVP. Brandon Banks is the MOP. And I think that's how it ends up shaking out. We're joining us right now. He's a CFL and NFL player agent, Sasha Gavami. Sasha, thanks for being the first guest on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for doing this. Um, look, I, I wanted to just go around and pick your brain. Uh, you You know the ins and outs of uh, the CFL landscape on the player side, the business side, and, and you deal with these teams in the league and all that stuff. So uh, there's a couple storylines I wanted to kind of just run by you, and I wanted to get your thoughts on. So I want to start with the XFL uh, and and how that you know some people are seeing that as a threat uh, to the CFL. Uh, I, I think the AAF probably should have taught us something, um, but I'm 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 skeptical about the XFL. I don't care how much money Vince McMahon's throwing there. What do you think? Well, I think it, it's it's something that needs to show that it's you know needs to prove its worth first before we start speculating. You know what I mean? The AAF came and it started off with a bit of a bang, and everybody kind of got on the bandwagon. And six weeks later, you know, it, it closed down. And and I think these new football leagues, what has shown over time is that they have a hard time surviving. The NFL is so strong in the states and around the world, really, but in the states, it's super strong that it's difficult to get another football league in that market to to you know to add another you know, type of football, another league of football. And I think where the CFL excels is that its market, its revenues does not depend on the American market. It depends mm-hmm. on the Canadian market. You look at the fan base across the league, you know, across the country, it's huge. Would it go to Vancouver all the way to the Maritime? People like CFL football and they follow it. So I think the XFL still needs a lot of work to do. It needs to show that it can sustain, you know, a good three years of operation. Um so that's going to be to follow, but I think it's also a good thing to have different leagues because competition is not a bad thing, Joey. I mean, bringing competition to the CFL in terms of places to play for players, that just makes everybody better. It forces the teams to, to offer better, you know, better salaries, to better conditions to the players, and it gives the players a little bit more of a choice of where they want to go play. It gives agents more leverage is what it does. Well, that it does too, but it also depends on the situation, the position, and, and I think you know, for Canadian players, the CFL is always going to be a great place. I think for some guys coming out of the NCAA college, 
um, you know, they might get a, they might get XFL opportunities and CFL, and they're going to have to compare both and see what makes more sense for them. So you, so you have both, you know, Canadian players in the CFL, American players uh, in the CFL. Uh, you represent guys in the NFL, Canadians and Americans in the NFL too. So, but in the CFL in particular, like with the AAF, like did you have that discussion with some of your American clients last winter? Like did they, you know, did they ask you like, hey, you know, should we look at the AAF and, and what are you telling them? Yeah, I mean, we, we have those discussions and, and I've also had discussions with other agents who call me from the States who ask for my opinion on, on a CFL opportunity versus, you know, an AAF or an XFL. But right. I think the main thing that players are concerned about these leagues is that, you know, it, it hasn't proven stability. It's a brand new league. Sure, on paper it looks good, but is it something that's viable long term and is it a good career move to go there? And sometimes, you know, players, let's say the CFL players that hit free agency, they want to get what's fair market to them and to, to get paid. And I think, you know, from my experience, players will look at what the XFL has to offer, they'll look at what the AAF has to offer. But ultimately, if the CFL comes in and provides something equally or better, uh, I don't think the decision is very hard to make because of the fact that the CFL has been in existence for over 100 years and it's not going anywhere. And it's a healthy league that's, that's you know, has a solid fan base across the country. So, you know, it's like it's like going from a stable situation to something more risky. So the upside of the risk has to be way bigger than what's offered in the CFL, for example. Right. Yeah, I hear you. All right. I uh, want to change gears. I want to tackle another topic with you. Uh, CFL 2.0, this, you know, this global vision that uh, Randy Ambrosi has. Um, in, in principle, I'll, I'll give you my quick opinion on it. I thought when it first was announced, I, I was I was skeptical. Um, because I just not that I think it's a bad idea to get other uh, countries involved uh, in, with the CFL, Sasha. Because I mean, listen, if you can grow the pie, great. I just I feel like it's rushed, like forcing teams to dress a one global player this year. I feel that's rushed. Now we've heard that it's going to go up to two next year. Like to me, it's just it's too rushed. Already, you you have roster constraints. You know, you're dressing forty five guys, and it's like you already don't have enough. You have a bunch of starters playing special teams and like now you're you're leaning on global players that probably can't contribute at this level well i think the question that you know we have to ask ourselves is what is the what is the league's objective with the global players right and we looked at we saw the offseason during cba talks uh, you know commissioner ambrosi going around and meeting with federations of different countries there was a french federation there was a german one right you know on mexico and i think the goal you know was really to try to increase revenue streams but the problem is that you're going to have is you know, one global player that's dressed, or even two, to be able to justify extra income coming from those leagues, you're going to have to make sure that those players can contribute to a way that they, they provide an impact. And I think some teams of the globals right now have, you know, impactful players that are con- contributing. Others are dressed, but not really contributing. So I think that the question you kind of have to ask yourself is, why are we, what, is the, what is the purpose? What are we doing? Because also adding a roster spot or two, also means, you know, extra income, extra extra expenditure for the team. And also, you know, Canadians are, 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 or even Americans don't have that roster spot. And so you have to make sure that the players that come in are playing at a high level or a high enough level to play in the league. And, and you don't want the discrepancy between your, your 44 American and Canadian players to be that much higher than what you're getting as a global player. So I think it's also about development and also creating opportunities that lead to something because one or two spots per team, is between nine to eighteen players per team, which is not a whole, not a whole lot when you think about it. When you consider all the different football leagues around the world, so 
it's a bit of a tricky situation, and I think that, to your point, it's been a bit rushed, but I also think that, you know, we have to figure out what the objective is before we go and start tossing around numbers. If the objective is to increase revenue streams, we have to ask ourselves, is this the, way, is this the best way of doing it? Is this what we have to do, or is there, are there other ways the league can go and become a, a player in those markets in Europe or in Central South America? See, I, I, don't, I don't think the idea is a bad one. I, I think it's a good way to increase revenue streams. It's just... Like I'll, I'll take the Alouettes as an example, and and credit to Montreal because they found a player, Diego Kuhlman, who serves as a seventh offensive lineman. He'll come in and jumbo sets if there's an injury. You know he can get them out of a game. But I mean, Sasha, I'm watching some teams. Some teams dress two kickers. Like I remember when Hamilton came to Montreal the first time. I'm on the field for the game, and Hamilton lined up for an onside kick. Uh, at the end of the game, they tried to recover the onside kick against Montreal. They've got two kickers on the field. One of them is a global kicker. The other one is their regular kicker, and that's the only time they got any use out of the global kicker. Like, they're just dressing two kickers and only using one, and and that's why I think it's too rushed. It's like, give these guys, you know, a couple years, keep them on the practice roster for two, three years, develop your, your best uh, global players, and then a year from now, dress one, and then later on, dress more. But I just, I don't understand, I understand the logic, I don't understand why the need to do it so quickly. Well, to your point, I think, you know, at the end of the day, where I have a hard time with the way the league is doing it is your objective is to grow the game internationally, which I'm all for. Your objective is to try to find other ways of getting revenue, which I'm all for. But is really dressing a second kicker the the answer to getting the Mexican or the German or the French, you know, market to follow your league? I don't think think so. Like, do you think, Sasha, that, you know, Mexican fans are watching this and, like, the guy's face flashes on TV on the sideline in the background for a second, and it's like, oh, I got to watch this because the guy I followed here is in the background of a TV broadcast in Canada? Like, no way. Well, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. And, And ultimately, if you look at other sports leagues that get followed internationally, they don't get followed necessarily because there's a player of that country playing. It's because... The league has done a solid marketing effort to to show people what the league is and explain it to them. And you can't even look at that. The CFL, if they would apply that marketing strategy just in the U.S. to American fan base that understands three-down football and to show them what the differences in the games are, you will see a fan base grow in the States for the CFL. So it's the same thing you can do in Europe. It's the same thing you can do in, in Central America or South America or, or Mexico. And, and that's really... What the focus should be, I don't believe dressing one or two will change that. Having said that, if your objective is to help international players get an opportunity to play professionally, which they wouldn't have a chance to do, then yes, keep it. That's great. But don't expect that one or two global players to really increase the revenue streams all that much. How long before we're playing games in France and Mexico and Germany, you think? Well, let's say, let, let me just put it this way. Before we start spending money on playing games in France and Germany, yeah. let's make sure players get paid as much as they could and let's make sure the, the work conditions are as good as they could. Because it's one thing to grow the game and to try to get in revenue streams, but don't start spending money left and right besides spending them on the players that have been the cornerstone of this league for a long time. Okay. And that's something that, that is very important to me. And, and I think that if, you know, at the end of the day, if this global effort will help bring in more money that will then be able to be redistributed to the players, then yeah, count me in. But if it's not going to benefit the players, the Canadian guys, the American guys that come here and that make a living, then it's not interesting for us. It's, it doesn't make any sense. So, well, okay, when you say working conditions, can, can you elaborate? 
well, I mean, a subject to the new CBA, we haven't seen all the details, but yeah. up until last year, players weren't even allowed to get a second medical opinion. Right. So you get hurt, and the team doctor will tell you, you have, you're okay to play next game, and you don't think so. You cannot, by CBA rules, there's nothing that provides you a, a second medical opinion at the cost of the club. The NFL negotiated that in 2011, you know, and that was, that's a no-brainer. The CFL doesn't have that. So I've had guys get hurt and that the team, is, the team doctors are saying that they're ready to go and the players ultimately don't feel it and they have to fight an arm and a leg to just get a second medical opinion. We're not even talking about pay here. Right. We're talking about health. Yeah. So that's just one example. And, and ultimately, I just think that, you know, now the minimum salary is going up, but you have to just think about the, the risk that these players are taking and the, the, the salaries they're making. There's, the focus should always be, if we make more money as a league, is how can we make the league better? And part of that is helping the players have better working conditions. Thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate you taking the time, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Absolutely, Joey. Thanks. That was NFL and CFL player agent Sasha Gavami joining us on the True North Football Podcast with Joey Alfieri. Uh, thanks to Sasha for taking the time to uh, spread some of that wisdom uh, to myself and to uh, you, the listener. Uh, Sasha brings up some interesting points, uh, especially when it comes to working conditions for a lot of these players, because that's a subject we don't we don't hear about, we don't talk about. Uh, maybe it's something that you know teams want to keep uh, hush hush with all the things you know that we know about player safety and how that's evolved over the last few years. You know, getting an independent uh, doctor to take a look at you and rule you you know ineligible to play because you're not healthy. I think. That's something that a lot of the players don't talk about again, like we said, but uh, it's something that is important to them. Uh, clearly, and, and Sasha, uh, you could tell in his voice just how important of a cause uh, that is to him. So interesting to see once more details start to trickle out in the CBA, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of uh, wrinkles or what kind of wins did the CFLPA come away with during the CBA uh, and interested to see if that's one of the things, you know, independent uh, doctors checking them out and clearing them or not clearing them for play, if that's one of the things uh, that they gained or if that's one of the things they'll negotiate uh, in the next CBA. Uh, another little news and note that uh, I wanted to pass along here, uh, Trevor Harris activated uh, off the six-game injured list by the Edmonton Eskimos. What does that mean? Look, the Eskimos aren't locked into that crossover spot, uh, but – it looks like that's where they're going to end up. And if they do, that means that they're coming to Molson Stadium on uh, on uh, in the second week of November, and they're going to play the Montreal Alouettes. And, like, and we mentioned uh, earlier when I was talking about Vernon Adams Jr., we mentioned the first time uh, that the Alouettes played out in Edmonton. That was opening week uh, of the CFL season, and the Owls were able to, for to force turnovers. Um, Trevor Harris passed for a lot of yards, but that was still a close game. Uh, when the Eskimos came back here, I believe that was in July, that offense didn't do a whole heck of a lot with Trevor Harris, but I think everybody understands. And if you're an Alouettes fan, you probably prefer to play Logan Kilgore uh, than you do uh, with Trevor Harris because Trevor Harris has the ability to uh, light you up, and uh, that's something that uh, Alouettes fans are not looking forward to uh, if that were to be the case uh, later on next month. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, uh, Cody Fajardo getting that big-time deal with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that two-year extension. Farhan Lalji of TSN reporting that it's worth $450,000 uh, per year. Good for Fajardo. And I think if you look at it and the way that some of the young quarterbacks have developed, coming into this year, it was like, 
Mike Riley's getting up there. Bo Levi Mitchell's getting up there. Uh, Ricky Ray had retired. Uh, Trevor Harris was going from Ottawa to to uh, Edmonton, and he's in his 30s. People were starting to wonder, like, well, you know, the, the next wave of, of quarterbacks, like in the CFL, when is that coming? And Cody Fajardo and Vernon Adams Jr. have both done a remarkable job. And, and credit to them because they've stepped into difficult circumstances. Vernon Adams was fourth on the depth chart once training camp started. Fajardo was the backup to Zach Caleros, who was knocked out in week one by Simone Lawrence on a hit that Lawrence was suspended for. But Fajardo's come in, hasn't missed a beat, been great, good dual threat quarterback, and could potentially uh, lead the Riders to, I mean, to a West Division title. And I don't think it's crazy to think that the Riders could be in the Grey Cup. But you look at these guys and, and Fajardo and Adams, and they've bounced around the league a little bit. But what they've done is they've learned from some veterans. They've sat, they've waited, they studied. And you have two guys who are more mature now and guys who are still in their 20s. And this is the next wave of Canadian quarterbacks. And I wonder now if you're not going to see some of these journeymen, or not even, it's not fair to call them journeymen, but some of these guys who bounce around the league, if they get that extra life, that extra opportunity, especially if they're 26, 27, 28, you know, a guy who's been sitting and backing up quarterbacks in the league, does that guy get an extra opportunity now uh, just because of the success that Vernon Adams and Cody Fajardo have had? This is the True North Football Podcast with Joey Alfieri. Uh, thanks to Sasha Gavami for joining us on episode one. And just a reminder, if you have any comments, any questions, you want to ask a guest a question, you want to ask me a question, uh, feel free to send me a DM on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Alfieri. Uh, hit that little envelope and uh, I'll be able to uh, read your comments or question. Uh, thanks for tuning into episode one. Like I said, want to do at least one of these a week and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. And uh, enjoy the week, football fans. Enjoy all the action this weekend, and we will speak again next week.